0: Uh, good, morning. good morning. If you and I have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Chad, and I get to be one of the pastors on the team here at Eastern Hills. And we are in a series called Summer Mixed Tape, which off the top, I feel the need to point out that I do know what this rectangle is <laughs> and what it was. Uh, and I am old enough to remember what side B was. <laughs> but that being said, I did grow up more in the playlist era, Uh, And some of those of mine have actually had a rather humorous journey. uh, For me, for example, the epic playlist of mine on Spotify. Uh, What it initially started as was like workout jams to get really pumped to. Like, you hear you get pumped up, you go to the gym, you lift all the weights. uh, Except for I was not working out at the time. So it was a playlist for absolutely no reason. Uh, And quite clearly, I have not lifted weights in a very long time. But then I was like, okay, what else do I do with this? And so uh, it became my guilty pleasure playlist, uh, which I renamed to Epic so I would feel better about it. Um, but it was like high school jams and like the songs that you're like, you don't tell people you listen to, but like you're in the car and it's, it's the thing to go to. Um, and the number one most played song of mine uh, in that era of life was, Wait for it. Wait for it. I would love to tell you that was a phase. (laughs) I kid you not, Friday, there was a dance party to that but But you know you laugh but you and i both know we all had a katy perry phase ah! and for some of us it's still going on <laughs> but some things are just worth having on repeat like there's just some things that get stuck in your head and you go with them and that's really the heart behind this series. Like, yeah, we have fun and things that keep going through our heads, but also for those of us that have been preaching, there's certain messages that have just been stuck in our heads like roar from Katy Perry that we just can't escape. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna share uh, one of those that's been sitting on me for the last bit uh, with you, because what's been going through my mind the most these last couple of months is actually the book of Revelation. Uh, so, I oh, know, there's someone jump back, it's like, it's, relax, it'll be fine, I promise. Um, but I'm teaching a class on it in the fall, and so to my thinking, uh, if I'm going to share that with other people, it should first mess with me. Uh, and so it's been a couple of months of working through that process, and so uh, we're going to look at one particular passage from that beautiful book, and so if you've got a Bible and you're following along, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to start at the beginning. But the book of revelation uh, it breaks down into three uh, very easy sections uh, chapter one is a vision of the resurrected jesus uh, chapter two and three are letters to seven specific churches that the book is addressed to and then from there uh, four to 22 are a set of symbolic visions that are covering either what god's plan for the world is how he hopes to redeem all of it and especially There's that moment at the end about the healing of the nations and what a restored heaven and earth will be like. But where we're going is in the middle of that letters section into a particular church named Sardis, or actually the city they were in was called Sardis. So this letter starts off this way. It goes, To the angel of the church in Sardis writes, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars now that's jesus Uh, these images for jesus are actually taken from revelation chapter one that big vision there these are a couple lines from that now before we get confused i know we just did a series on the holy spirit and we're like there is one god and one holy spirit and this just said seven relax it's okay uh numbers especially in revelation are symbolic seven being uh, for completeness or wholeness or the fullness of something and so this is a statement that jesus has the full spirit of god within himself that he is truly god but then also uh who holds the seven stars again from chapter one we know that to be the angels of the seven churches see somehow uh, god had delegated some authority to some other spiritual beings that were watching over the church and jesus has authority over them too and so what we're left with just in this quick statement is jesus is entirely god and he's fully in charge and has authority over his church has, i have read and wrestled through it, we don't talk about Jesus like that a ton. Like if, you, like, if you've noticed, the primary way we discuss Jesus is as a crucified Jesus. And that's a good thing, because if we're talking about, like, the seminal moment of salvation history, it's the cross. But you all know he's not still on it? But that's a picture of who Jesus is now. And so for me, just processing through, okay, how we talk about Jesus, uh, part of me wonders, even within myself, of like, am I more comfortable with a crucified Jesus because it feels more manageable? Or like, you know, it's great to have my spiritual credit card debt canceled, but that Jesus demands my allegiance. Like, all authority Jesus, we can't escape. But that Jesus has some words for some people in Sardis. It goes on like this. I know your deeds. All right, that's a little terrifying, uh, but we'll leave, we'll leave that be. I'll be like, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I've found your deeds unfinished, in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. That's rough. But to know why Jesus has such strong words for these people in Sardis, we're going to have to know something about Sardis. So I've brought with me a map, uh, and it'll be on this next slide, Uh, and this is a map of the seven churches of Revelation. Uh, Sardis is over here, and you may notice that there's a wonderful bright orange line between all of them. That is a highway. Uh, The order of the letters of the seven churches is just the order that some runner would have found them on the road. That's all that's going on there. But Sardis is toward the end, and they appear here. Now, if you're going to Sardis today, uh, here's one angle of what you would see. If it goes right. So, this is down from uh, where you would normally be, uh, and that hill also is part of Sardis. Uh, this is a remains of a temple to Artemis, because she was one of the primary gods worshipped in the town. But then, like, if you needed to defend yourself, you would go inside the walls that were on top of this hill. But to really capture what the city looks like, uh, this next drone shot that we have uh, gives you an even better feel for it. So you've got the hill, but then as far as the eye can see, you have vineyards, right? This is the Napa Valley, of the ancient world or I mean we're in New York, it's like the Finger Lakes region like one of the things we know about it wine comes from there right Sardis wine comes from there as far as the eye can see that's what you approach uh, going through but they were also known for their wealth um, and when I say wealth I'm afraid what you heard that is oh they have some money no no, no. gold and silver coins were first minted at Sardis They had to invent new ways of printing money because they had so much of it. It was also the capital city of the Lydian Empire when that was around, but on top of that, their security was something that was very well known about them. This place was untakeable. Because of this massive hill, which actually used to be bigger at the time that this letter was written, uh, some earthquakes and landslides have made that smaller over time, but that wall that was set on there, the citadel on top of it. If anybody was mildly paying attention, you could not take it. It was like trying to invade Switzerland. Like one guy with a rifle can guard the one pass in and you just can't get into Switzerland. That's the feel of Sardis. Until one day. Uh, 546 B.C., The Persians attacked the city of Sardis. And as every other siege had gone for all of history, they couldn't get in, they attacked the walls, it didn't work. Like, it went on for a while and nothing was happening. Until one day, a Persian soldier by the name of Heroades was paying attention, just kind of watching that tall hill. And out of nowhere, from one of the rocks, a Lydian soldier appeared. He's like, that's weird. Uh, As it turns out, the soldier was retrieving a helmet that had fallen off of the wall, and then he slowly snaked back up a path that they didn't even know existed before and went back in. So Heroides thought to himself, first of all, if some low-level soldier is dropping a helmet and getting away with heading out for that, not many people must be paying attention. But also, I bet if he can walk up that path, I bet uh, me and a few hundred of my closest soldier friends can get up it. Sure enough, they attack up the path, find the wall to be unguarded, and the city falls. And you would think that the embarrassment of a wealthy, prominent capital city being taken because someone was asleep on the job would be enough embarrassment to never make that mistake again. Uh, Well, except for it happened again. 213 BC, the Greeks this time attacked the city of Sardis. And a guy by the name of Lagarus is also a soldier, he's paying attention and he sees vultures gathering on the wall. Birds don't do that when there's people around. Thinks to himself, I bet you they're not guarding that spot. Sure enough, him and a few hundred of his closest buddies go up that spot on the wall, find it unguarded, the city falls again. It fell twice! For people sleeping on the job, not guarding the wall, and not paying attention because it relaxed too much. They're like, oh, we've always been secure, we'll be fine, we're rich, it'll be good, like it's just good, we're fine. And because they didn't pay attention, it fell. Listen again to the words of Jesus speaking to people in this church that we just read. I know your deeds. You have a re- reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. <clears throat> strengthen what remains and is about to die for i have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my god remember therefore what you've received and heard hold it fast and repent but if you do not wake up i will come to you like a thief and you will not know what time i will come to you first of all it's not going to be hero or Lagarus coming over the wall it's going to be jesus But also, this phrase, hold it fast, (laughs) literally the word in Greek is guard it. Somehow, the culture of the city they were in bled into the mentality of the church. And rather than them being a light in that circumstance... They became part of the culture and took on its values and its own sense of coasting and complacency. And before we make fun of them too much, I would like to remind you who we are. We live in the United States. And if we're talking about wealth, uh, I don't know if you know this, our poverty line in the States is higher than the average income of the world. We, too, define wealth. In terms of security, it's been a long time since we fought a war at home. Especially if you're only talking about the mainland 48. There's an assumption there that, yeah, it will always kind of work itself out because we'll be good. We don't fight at home. But we can't allow that coasting mentality, whether from Sardis or from ourselves, bleed into who we are as Christians. And I was wrestling a lot as to how to kind of unpack this for us. What I landed on is I think that there's a few lies that really tempt us to coast, but the answer to a good lie is a better question, I think. And honestly, y'all, for each one of these lies, it's been something that's tempted me at different points, and so I'm just going to share the wrestling with you, and we're going to work this out together. So, lie number one that can tempt us to coast. Someday when, then I will. Someday when it's easy, I'll work out. Someday when I have more time, I'll read my Bible. Someday when I'm retired, I'll do what I want. Someday when... You know it's easy i'll do what i think is the right thing sometimes you know sometimes when i just like have more margin i'll give sometimes when i have more uh you know whenever the circumstance like works out how i feel about it like someday when i feel like it i'll do it i have distinct memories by the way uh, of being in elementary school and i was Uh, in fifth grade and what was happening for me is uh, everyone else was going to one middle school and I was going across town to a different one and so it would be uh, me with a whole group of people I'd never seen before but I remember being really unhappy with how life was going for me uh, at the time and uh, as I was thinking about it and the best way my 10-year-old brain could express it was like okay when I go to middle school I have a fresh start and so I was like okay when I Someday when I'm in middle school, I'll have a fresh start. Sure enough, things didn't change a ton, and so I was like, okay, someday when I'm in high school, I'll have a fresh start. Awesome. Eh. But then I was like, okay, well, that didn't work out. Okay, so someday when I go to college, that'll be a fresh start. Someday when I go to work full-time, that'll be a fresh start. Someday when I get a different job, that'll be a fresh start. No. At least for me, the only thing i have found that actually creates that is actually dealing with the problem and so i think a better question to ourselves versus you know someday when is just why not today like is there a good reason for me to not do today what i should Like, whether it's something like you're trying to make better choices for yourself, where it's like, okay, maybe I should maybe eat uh, less dessert. Maybe look at that. Cool. Why not today? Maybe it's whether you're trying to exercise or something. Why not today? Why not today read a little snippet of your Bible? Why not today pray to this God that we just sang to? Why not today pick up the phone and call someone that you really don't want to, but you know you should? If there's not a good reason as to why not today, today's probably the right day. But that's lie number one that I think that tempts us into coasting. Lie number two, that's just how I am. Right? Maybe it's, uh, oh, just how I talk, or, oh, I'm just angry. Right, first of all, you're probably not something probably happened at some point that made your reaction to something be angry all the time. Or maybe at this one I've said to myself, I'm just blunt. In college, uh, I was talking with a professor of mine and he was a great guy and he spent some extra time with me. We got some coffee and we were walking through uh, campus one day. And I expressed something like this to him of like you know i'm i'm blunt you know trying to figure that out but like how like what's good of that what's bad of that like what's going on there um and we were walking past this like decorative wall um and like it was it was a low wall but then on the top had some kind of like decoration to it and some sharp edges and other things like that and i was we were walking and talking it's like okay it's this whole blunt thing and he's like you know sharp edges can be beautiful but how about you just don't Crack people's heads on this with your words. Fair. Still, sometimes, things I have to work at. But I think this, that's just how I am thing, is a way to get us out of having to do the really hard work that we know is there to be better. And so maybe instead of, like, this, just how I am, maybe a better question is, what do I need to work on? Right? You can't work on everything all at once. That would be far too overwhelming. So pick one thing. What's the one thing? Right? Now, if something just immediately jumped to your mind, that's probably the thing. Don't ignore that. But, like, what's one thing? Uh, often we get uh, confused to ourselves, and we think we can, like, change the entire world in a day. Uh, we way overestimate what we can do in a day but way underestimate what happens over a long stretch of time? Like, even think about yourself. Like, okay, uh, this week versus the week before, probably about the same person. Uh, but imagine yourself four years ago. That's very different. Allow the same process for yourself. But I think there's one more sneaky line. This one's come for me at different points and is really tempting. I've succeeded in the past, therefore, I will again. Now, it is true that past performance is a really good predictor of future performance, but that doesn't mean that there's not a need to work hard. right? Even if you think about like how work goes for uh, most people, so basically, if you succeed at entry level, You get promoted, and then if you do well at that level, you get promoted again, right? Because the assumption is that, oh, if you're good at something, then you're probably good at teaching people how to do that thing. Um, Maybe. Uh, Drawback is teaching and being good at whatever that skill was are actually two separate things. But just because we've succeeded in the past, we've done good in the past, or just because we've got something on our resume that we're really proud of doesn't mean that we don't need to continue working. What am I... Uh, military friends, uh, it's painted on a wall somewhere. Can't remember where the quote comes from, so here you go. Um, but one thing that they mentioned to me uh, is this phrase, the only easy day was yesterday. That's duck. I mean, that's not to say that you're not going to have good days, not going to say that you're going to have fun days, not to say that you're not going to have rest days, but that is to say that, like, Somehow like this coasting mentality can kind of lull us into. Oh, it will just be chill I don't have to like really engage in something And it's sneaky But one question that's really landed. Well for me is Am I really doing my best? Right in Every area so when it comes to our faith Are we doing the best that we can like our reasonable best at going? Okay? This is what I believe so this is how I Am. This is what I believe, this is what I say, this is what I believe, this is what I do. Like, are we doing our best there? But then also for the relationships that matter the most. Right? Are you doing your best there? Like, with your family, with, the, with those things. Like, for me, like, if work gets good energy and wife gets good energy, but then I run out by the time I get to the kids, like, that's not okay for me to do. Also, dear friends, get the best from you? Or better, yet, this is my favorite one, because it's probably not what you're thinking. Do your hobbies get the best? So by the way, uh, they should. You should consistently be doing your best. By the way, uh, hobbies getting good energy is only a problem if it's at the expense of those other things. But also, did you know God's really into fun? It's one of his favorite things. Uh, I realize, culturally, it did not translate well, but those feasts in the end of Leviticus are parties. (laughs) Let me draw you a picture. Uh, For the three big festivals of the Jewish year, uh, that would be Passover weeks and then uh, Booths, they were required to save 10% of their yearly income to blow in Jerusalem during those parties. What would 10% of your income look like if you're like, you know what, this week, Easter weekend, it's going to be great. (laughs) That was the law. (laughs) But again, it didn't culturally translate well, and so we get a little lost there. But God's really into fun. So also, there's that one spot, you know, the fruit of the Spirit. One of them is joy. Uh, If we're not, like, joyful, we're not quite doing something right. Right? That's part of who God is. And so, are we really doing our best? And honestly, the only person that can answer that is you, for yourself. But I think these potential lies can tempt us toward coasting. That's just something we can't afford to do. Now, if you were diligent and are following along in your own Bible, you noticed I left a whole lot of this letter out which is why you should always bring your Bible if you can and and follow that along. Uh, But I did leave out half the letter, so here's what comes after what we just read. It says this, Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels whoever has ears let them hear what the spirit says to the churches so it's not everybody but the particular thing in this section that stands out to me is this phrase uh, the one who is victorious depending on your translation might say conquer same word That phrase shows up in all seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. None of them defines what it is. You actually have to read a little bit on later to like chapter five and seven and see how the rest of it pans out to understand what that phrase is meant to be. But the one who's victorious in the eyes of Jesus is anybody who is a faithful witness to the way of Jesus, no matter the cost. Now, the cost for them often included their life. For us, it's often not the case. But, I mean, social ostracism is on the menu, if you would like. Because, see, the ultimate form of coasting is compromise. Not in a like, oh, we're gonna work together, figure it out, I'll give some, you give some, we figure out a work problem. But like compromise, as in like, hey, this is what I believe to be the most true thing about the world, and because I got really uncomfortable and I don't want them to think worse of me, oh my goodness, please, whatever's least offensive, I'll just do that and we'll move on. That. But y'all know that there is only one thing in the entire book of Revelation that brings the rest of the world to repentance, and it is not the judgment of God. It is the faithful witness of the church, regardless of the cost. I thought it was fantastic that uh, Pastor Trey, last week, he read for us Luke 14. I'm like, count up the cost of following Jesus before and and be willing to pay it. So whatever that is. And that's not to say, by the way, uh, that as far as uncompromising faithful witness, that does not mean we get to be aggressive toward other people. Does not mean that. It does not mean that we uh, berate other people that don't agree with us. But it does mean that for us as Jesus followers in this house, in this church, in this place, We choose the way of Jesus. And whatever else anyone wants to say to that, do to that, say about that, that's fine. We're okay with it. We know that that might happen. And there's things about us that just aren't popular, right? Uh, C.S. Lewis, I think it was in Mere Christianity, but he definitely said it a while ago. Uh, The least popular thing about Christianity is the sexual ethic. Yeah, that has not changed in the decades since he wrote that. But if we get made fun of for it, that's fine. But the point that John, the guy who wrote Revelation, but it's also the words of Jesus that he copied down, is that when Christians are willing to live the way of Jesus, no matter what, that's what brings other people along too. And so, in this brief letter to Sardis, John sets before them a choice. On the one hand, coasting, compromise, just try and figure out a way to say, oh, it's just how I am, just try and take the path of least resistance. Like, that's one choice. Or be faithful to the way of Jesus no matter what. You pick. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for some time to just sing to you about the powerful name of Jesus. Thank you for a space where we can acknowledge the way of Jesus and talk to you about that through prayer. And as for us and our church, help us to choose the way Of Jesus give us the strength we need for that but also to love everybody and care for people and to uh, be faithful uh, in the way that we believe and act but also faithful in the way that we treat other people whether they agree with us or not help us be light in the world help us be salt of the earth help us be that city on a hill God help us in all facets of our life to to take an honest assessment of where we individually are at And say all right, what do I need to work on? Am I really giving my best? Because it's all for you Every ounce of who we are is for Jesus And so all of these things and everything else on our minds, everything else on our day, everything else going on in our world, we bring before you and pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us for church today. Uh, As you go about the rest of your day, enjoy having an honest assessment about that. And if you need a pick-me-up-later, just remember, uh, I still have dance parties to Katy Perry. (laughs) But that all being said, you are sent.